Welcome to Pride Nation 101. Queer voices, music, opinions, and lives. From Highway 101 to the world. I'm Roland Corey Medina. And I'm Chad Oliver Swimmer, coming to you from the unceded land, now known as Casper, California. Welcome. Today on Pride Nation, we're going to hear the story of Nancy Chow from China, just before Mao Zedong, to Taiwan, to Albion. Then we'll hear from Adrian James about transitioning in Fort Bragg and why having a queer prom is so important. Finally, we'll hear from writer and performer Sherry Glazer about her new book, Chictionary, taking the dick out of dictionary. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Hey, Roland, what do you think about our new soundtrack? I am in love. Nice. Kind of makes us want to go out to another queer prom, doesn't it? I could go out dancing in the backyard with this music. <laughs> yeah, well, straight from South Africa, some South African house. Don't you mean queer from South Africa? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my, my guess is there's queers everywhere. <laughs> I'd like to take you to our interview with Nancy Chow, financial advisor, dancer, native of mainland China and Taiwan, and now a fixture of the North Coast community. I'm sitting on a porch in Albion, looking out at the forest between two Myers lemon trees covered in flowers. One of my favorite smells. And I'm with my old friend, Nancy Chow. Nancy, how are you? I am great. You have an incredible story. Your life has has covered so many places and cultures that most of us don't even think about. When did you arrive in Albion and what was your journey? I arrived in Albion in 1998, after a long journey from Taiwan to United States to, and particularly from Wisconsin, somehow, intuitively, I decided to move to California because Wisconsin is really too cold and too conservative for me. I first landed in Ukiah. By that time, I already had two children, all grown up, and got a divorce because I needed to be who I am. Then I met a woman online and was for the first time going full force with my true identity being a lesbian. She lived in uh, Mendocino, so I moved to Mendocino, where to me is my destiny. Where were you born? I was born in Nanjing, China, but because of the Chinese Civil War, we moved to Taiwan, and I was only two years old. So I pretty much grew up in Taiwan for 19 years. I had a mother who believed so much in education for boys or girls. So we were all told that college education needs to be done. And then we need to go to United States to go to graduate school. And that's how I came to United States. I came in 1969, arriving in uh, Washington, D.C., where my oldest brother was living. And I was going to go to school in upstate New York, but found out that I couldn't find any real jobs to support my room and board fees. I end up in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois for graduate school, where I met my ex-husband and uh, moved to Wisconsin. The whole journey was interesting because I was never really interested in dating men, but he was in love with me because he was teaching Spanish in the university that I went to in Taiwan. And somehow, I guess, he was in love with me and he found out where I was going to school and he came looking for me. Wow. And so I married him. He's from Pamplona, España. Wow. <laughs> because he spoke seven languages. Wow. And he was, you know, of course, he was very Spanish, but... He was, he spoke Chinese, so that was a good connection because my mother wouldn't have liked it 
So we had two children. It 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 was you know a, a very amicable divorce in my opinion, but uh, <laughs> but it hurt him so much. Mm-hmm. When you were young, did you have any conception of being a lesbian or what it meant to be a lesbian? No, because there was no such word or example in the Chinese society of gay people. I have read and seen the word that says homosexuality, but I've never, I never met anybody that was. I may now I look back, maybe there were, but nobody would ever dare to, you know, show themselves as a homosexual person. The only person that I look back that was so, so such an example of a lesbian was one of my father's favorite friends who went to college with him and she was a scholar. And I remember that at gatherings, my father never mind talking to her since my father was a Confucius scholar who didn't really socialize that much. It was very surprising for me to see that my father was very interested in talking to her. But that's because they connect in the philosophical and, you know, historical, just educational connection that they had. They they were really uh, compatible as friends. Mm-hmm. And my mother on the other side is was totally not so and my father would find people that you know uh, he could talk to so she always came in short bobbed hair and very simple dark clothing uh, never skirts pants and tops and I always thought in you know I always I kind of always interested in talking to her because she was not like the other aunties who are so um, so uh, feminine, so auntie-like. She was just like talking to you like, like a friend. So that was the only thing I could think of that would even hint homosexuality to me. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely not anything obvious in the Chinese society when I was growing up. But I had four wives in junior high. That was our plaything, but I was the macho man, and I had four wives. Wait, clarify this. <laughs> we're, I'm, we're close together, and then they started to count. I'm wife number one, wife number two, and I actually I'm still in very close contact with my wife number four, who claims that she was the mistress that I and I love the mistress the most. Ooh. So it's a it was a child play, but when I look back, there's it's more than child play. Yeah. I really like women and I never dated any guys. Mm-hmm. Even in college I dated a, a guy who is an intellectual person. So all we did was go into the libraries and then we would argue because he was from Hong Kong, Chinese from Hong Kong. So political point of view was different. And and I was, you know, living in, I grew up in Taiwan. So it was the <clears throat> Republic of China. So we had different point of views and we would argue and then and go to movies. And But I was not interested in him romantically. And finally, I got tired of arguing with him, so I called it off. <laughs> <laughs> when did you start understanding that you were lesbian? I was probably, I would say, about 40 years old in, in Wisconsin when I started to play tennis. And I met these couple of women that are good, great tennis players, and one of them became my first love. She was very uh, much of a like a colonel-like person, beautiful, but very domineering. Then I started to think about why do I want to be with her all the time? <laughs> so, oh, 
Maybe I am gay. <laughs> Maybe I'm a lesbian because all I wanted to do was to be with her. And so she was my coming out girlfriend. Wow. Well, I had so little knowledge about homosexuality even by that time because I was busy with raising two kids and developing my career. And there was no time to think about, oh, what's my sexuality? Mm-hmm. So, but, but it, it, that was just easy because suddenly I'm in love. And, um, and that was um, probably the most important chapter of my life. Mm-hmm. But I stayed married because I didn't want to put the burden on my children who were in junior high, high school and troublesome are those schools are. I decided that I'm better off to suffer a little bit myself than to break up the family when the kids are really in need of both uh, parents. Mm-hmm. Um, especially my son, who turned out to be gay. Mm. And I, he was in so much you know, pain in coming out to himself and not able to tell anybody. And so he, I was almost the only person that he would talk to even though he did not come out to me, except I kind of sensed that he might be gay because he never had any girlfriends. And then one time I found a magazine in his room that was, oh, full of men. So, but I kept quiet and I wanted him to find his own time to tell me. Mm -hmm. And my daughter, Interesting enough, <clears throat> decided that she be, she was a lesbian when she was in junior, <laughs> junior high, and I was told later by my my first girlfriend in Mendocino that my daughter was coming out for me. <laughs> I I said okay, whatever, you know you're the therapist, so you must know. So <laughs> my daughter would was so brave and gutsy, she would just run around with her girlfriend. And of course, my ex-husband, her father, was not very pleased. (laughs) But I told him, here's my scenario to calm him down because make it difficult for both of them, my daughter and him. So I said to him, I said, well, you know, just think about it. You, we won't have to face the dilemma of teenage pregnancy. <laughs> that actually calmed him down. Oh, wow. I said, hey, you know, if you tell your daughter to go right, she will go left. So just think, we won't have to worry about her getting pregnant. <laughs> and, but my son never came out to him. Even, even now... My son is in his 40s. It's kind of like, oh, I know you're gay, but we're not talking. We're, we're not going to openly say yet. Mm-hmm. Their relationship is good now, but it's interesting how different men. When I moved to California, my son drove me to California and, and you know, we just came out to each other. We were both ready. And he and my daughter both said, Oh, mom, we knew. <laughs> and so it just, um, it was a load off because even though we kind of suspected it, but we're just waiting for each other to be ready. Yeah. And, and that I think that was still the best decision mm-hmm. for both of us. Uh, and now my daughter is happily married to a wonderful man. She declared to me that she was, she is bisexual and my son-in-law is so wonderful he says i don't have any problem with her being bisexual except when we go to bars we're all looking at the same woman (laughs) she's just very sure of who she is and no problem and my son is being together with his partner for 27 years and it's just wonderful that they both 
find the right person and that to and to be accepted by family and friends and there's no better blessing than that mm-hmm. thank you for tuning in to pride nation 101 we are speaking with nancy chow financial advisor dancer romantic and native of mainland china through taiwan wisconsin to albion california your dad was he still alive when you came out nope my dad died and even my mother passed away and looking back if they were still around it would have been extremely difficult for me because my dad was a confucius scholar very conservative when you talk to my parents especially my brothers they had to stand in military style to talk to him it's that how conservative it is. Wow. It's the respect of elderly. You don't squad or slouch and and never raise your voice. That's, and he was, you know, from the old school. Well, my mother is much younger, but she demands similar behaviors because that was the old school. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think, if she was alive, she would have disowned me. My mother's ruthless on that. If the child does not please her in many, in some ways, she can just say, bye-bye, I disown you. Wow. And she did that to my oldest brother. When my oldest brother went back to Taiwan to start a business and was bad timing and he ended up with all kinds of debt, she took an ad in the newspaper and disowned him. In the newspaper. Yeah. See, that's how you publicly disown the person so that you will not be uh, associated with the debt. So, uh, so from my perspective, I think she would have disowned me <laughs> because that is not. And actually, in my opinion, my mother is so gay. Because she is such a power, she was such a powerful person, smart, and she was not afraid of anything. You know, during the war, uh, both the Second World War against the Japanese and the war against the communist Chinese, she would go and run a field hospital for my dad, who was fighting in the frontier. She would just go there and help you know, direct the the operation of a field hospital. And, you know, she was just, she was pretty amazing. And she's uh, built a little empire, uh, even though my father earned very little money, even though, you know, he was very um, high up in the Chiang Kai-shek's regime. But if you didn't corrupt and take bribery, you're pretty poor. Mm-hmm. And but so she is the one that really taught me about financial planning. She would drag, I'm the baby of seven, and she would drag me to the little bank and then drag me to the jewelry store when she has a little bit of money saved. And then, then she would drag me to some remote area where she bought a, an, a house and she would rent it out and, and then speculate in a little farmland far away. So I learned financial planning from her. She was very, very smart and decisive and courageous, but she was very narcissistic too. So, Mm. and I'm kind of glad I didn't get that from her. (laughs) (laughs) She's, you know, she was impossible to live with. She's worse than a tiger mom. Mm -hmm. She was just all about herself. And, you know, then you be obedient and you you take care of everything about her. And um, there was, uh, you know, I, I didn't learn about love, how to love another person from her because she was just like an army sergeant, you know. But somehow... I corrected that after I got married and I decided that I would never raise my children like she raised me. So um, I was happily, I'm happily to say I was not a tiger mom 
And um, my children grew up pretty normal. <laughs> and, you know, all is well. My mother taught me a lot about integrity. And, you know, um, also she was always for the underdog. And that was really amazing that she always took care, took care of people who are less um, fortunate than her. And my dad, of course, everything is honor. It's nothing but honor. So I got the best of for, out of them. I have no uh, regrets as to how I was brought up. So you have gone back to China since then. Yes. Can you tell us about it? So I went back about five years ago when I went back with my daughter and granddaughter and my girlfriend to Taiwan for my 50th class reunion. There they are, all these women that I went to school with. I went to a girl school, a girl middle school and high school. And, and there they are. Well, most of my close friends have, have known me being gay for since I came out. So that was not ever a problem. But this was very interesting because I chose to go with my girlfriend and and my bi daughter and my nun uh, um, my grandchild who was trying to figure out if he she was non-binary or what so I love it <laughs> at that time it was a question mark so I went there without any reservation and without any fear of having to explain or uh, or seeking acceptance from my old acquaintances. It was a real revelation for me because I was truly myself and I did not care what anybody thought of. Oh, what happened? See, I was a very popular person <laughs> in all the schools. So when I arrived, my Chinese name was loudly pronounced. And I would just present myself and my family and my girlfriend. And I see eyes getting big, looking at me and my girlfriend. But nobody would say anything because they are Chinese, you know. We are very uh, polite. We wouldn't say anything negative or provocative. So, and we would we all went on a, a, a train trip down southeast, and we all just share stories and commingle, and uh, nobody ever said a word to me about. So for them to to be accepting me as it is, it was, it was it's really interesting now that I think about it. I never thought about it, but I now I think, oh, that's cool. They didn't, but most of them were uh, are educated in graduate school in the United States, so maybe they have seen and heard enough. <laughs> um, and surprisingly, as you may know. Taiwan has legalized gay marriage, and they have had gay pride parade for two, three years now. Oh, yeah. So I am so proud of Taiwan. I'm not so proud of communist China, but I am so proud of my Chinese people in Taiwan. You have traveled with your partner all over the world in the last 10, 15 years. Where have you, where do you feel is the most accepting place for you? I think probably Cuba. Really? Yeah, because they, they, they have other important things to do, like <laughs> song and dance and, and survival that, and also you think about, they, they are a real mixed pot. Yeah. of African, Spanish, and Native Islanders, they they are so much more relaxed about what's your skin color or 
who you are with. Actually, one of our best friends that we made over there, Malolo, he was, he's a gay man that we just love so much, you know. And we even, he passed away and we went to visit him and he passed away and and his partner, boyfriend, was devastated, you know, so we tried to uh, reconnect with him and helped him. But people don't care. who what What's your sexual preference and what color of skin you are? So we felt really uh, comfortable there. Mm-hmm. But actually, you know, when I think about it, that We've been to we've been to at least like ten countries together. I don't recall being uncomfortable anywhere. I think it's because we are very comfortable with ourselves. Mm-hmm. I just never paid a, even we the last place was Morocco, which is very um, hmm, uh, religious. We still didn't care, and nobody ever bothered us. And, and it's such a blessing, you know, when you know who you are and you just enjoy the people and the environment that it really didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Get rid of the fear. Just, I, we just don't care. We met dancing, doing salsa dance. And you obviously had had a lot of experience. Where did you start dancing? I started dancing probably when I was in junior high, high school. My my brothers were uh, are much older than me. One is ten years older. One is eleven. Well, the t- the one that's ten years older, he and I are kind of the in the came from the same pot, learning new things. So they were practicing jitterbug, uh, rumba, waltz. <laughs> and so then he would use me as an object to make me turn. Uh, so he would learn how to turn me around and around. And so, and cha-cha-cha. Oh, Chinese love dancing. Of course, it wouldn't take long for me to love dancing. But when my girlfriend asked me if I wanted to go to your class one Sunday and to learn salsa. I said, okay, what's that? So I went and did I fall in love with that dance? Now all the others don't count as far as I'm concerned. And then, of course, my girlfriend quit going because her old girlfriend came back. So I decided that, hmm, I'll just learn how to lead. And because most of the guys, in my opinion, are not good dancers. (laughs) And I got tired of dancing with them, practicing. So I decided, I don't need to follow. I'll just learn to lead. And now, all the women that come to ask me to dance just make my dream come true. You are in demand. I don't even remember you following. (laughs) I know. Because it it wasn't too long when she stopped coming because we were doing switching, lead and follow. And then when she stopped coming, I just decided that I don't need to follow. I'll just lead. Yeah. But, Chad, you gave me the most important chapter of my life. Oh. What you did for the community here have enriched so many of us. But I can only speak for myself. It just made my life complete because salsa is in my blood. (laughs) And and I have to live it with that in my blood. Yeah. And thank you. Well, thank you, Nancy. It's been a pleasure. That was Celia Cruz, who, unbeknownst to many, is actually a drag queen, playing Azúcar Negra. I have to say that at the end of that interview, I had a hard time deciding whether to leave it in or not, but it really is meaningful, the connection that was developed between a lot of us on the dance floor. And if you do get out there and you're dancing and you see Nancy Chow dancing, ask her for a dance. She really has style and she really has fun. (laughs) 
This show originated from KZUIX, listener-powered community radio from Mendocino County and beyond. Public radio is truly one of the pillars of democracy, but it is not free. In fact, there are serious expenses associated with bringing shows like this to you. If you feel like helping, you can donate to us by going to www.overstand.earth and looking for Disquiet Media. Or by going to www.kzyx.org and clicking the red Donate Now button. Or by donating to whatever station makes a soundtrack for your day. We thank you. Yes. We're going to take a little side trip over to Bainbridge Park in Fort Bragg to talk to Adrian James Taylor. Adrian was one of the organizers of the Queer Prom, which happened last month in the barn at Fortunate Farms. Unfortunately, because of the COVID surge that's going on right now, we did this interview outside, so there is a little bit of wind and background noise. <laughs> How are you doing today? I'm pretty good. So you were involved in the organizing and the creation of the Queer Prom last month. Can you tell us about how it was to put it together? Honestly, it was, it was a really difficult process putting it all together because it was very last minute and very understaffed, I would say. The first time we did Queer Prom, we had a lot more people on board and we were a lot more prepared. I mean, we just... We were preparing months in advance, but this time it was like we're kind of coming out of a pandemic, kind of still in a pandemic. We don't know if we can even do an event like that. And then suddenly, like three, two or three months before, we decided, like, I think we can do this. We need to do it right now. And it was like super chaotic. And I honestly can't believe it even came together at all, but it was awesome. Yeah, <laughs> we thought it was an incredible success. We loved it and felt, you know, happy and charged and positive for days after. And we're wishing there were another one this next week. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, I heard a lot of awesome things from a lot of people, and I just felt like it was just a really good night. Some people told me it was the best queer prom they'd been to, even in comparison to the last one we had. And I thought that was a really big compliment because the last one just felt, to me, being on the, like, inside, a lot less chaotic. But at the same time, I also understand why it was so much better because it was just this awesome outdoor place and i felt like it was really just a good way to bring a community of people together mm -hmm. do you have plans for another dance of some sort coming up for me being a part of it no just because i'm going to be going off to college and i won't be here anymore uh. but we are planning to kind of put together some documents to help other people put together a queer prom in the future because we were kind of lost we didn't have anything and so we want to pass it down to other people so they have a bit of a guide so we can do it every year. Oh wait, when are you leaving? I'm going to be attending Santa Rosa Junior College in the fall next year. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to leave whenever I find a place that's affordable. Yeah. So why is having a queer prom important to you? To me, I just feel like it's really important to like, especially living in such a small town, like rural area, it's really important to kind of find other queer people and like find that community because for a lot of people, especially younger people or people just coming out, they need to find people they relate to and people they can talk to. And I think that that was a really good opportunity to create those connections for people because I know that when I was younger, I would have needed something like that and I wish I had something like that. Mm -hmm. Are you from Fort Bragg? Yeah, I was technically not born here, but I was raised here my whole life. How do you identify? I would say that I identify more as a trans man, maybe like somewhere on the spectrum, like not quite male, but like pretty close. I also kind of vibe with androgyny, but if someone were to ask me, I would just say I'm a guy because that's more simple and I don't want to explain myself. Mm -hmm. When did you start first start feeling that way? I remember being pretty young and before I even had the words for it, I would like ask people around me like, why can't I walk around like a shirt with a shirt off like my brother does or like, why does he do that and I can't? Why does he play with those things when I get these dolls? But I didn't have a lot of language to it until I was 12 and I kind of did more research on it. And I was like, that makes a lot of sense. And I met another trans man who was just in the process of coming out and he was around my age at the time. He put a lot of things into words for me that I didn't previously have. Language to describe myself, I guess. And I related to a lot of the experiences that he described to me with what he was going through. And so I guess within the year of meeting him and having those conversations, I realized that I was not a cisgender person. Mm -hmm. When did you first tell your family? I didn't tell my family really. I guess it was like, I went to this event with this like YouTuber person and we bought the tickets 
And then right after we bought the tickets, they came out as trans. And so a big part of their show was like, I'm a trans person now, and like, this is who I am, and this is me expressing myself to the public. And I got to meet them one-on-one, and like, that was kind of a big thing for me, because I didn't expect that to happen, and it was like, whoa, this is the first trans adult I've ever really interacted with. And later that day, my mom asked me, they were calling people up on stage, and I, my mom had heard my friends calling me Adrian, but every time she asked about it, I'd brush it off, and I'd say, like, it wasn't a big deal, it was just a weird name. Um, and she asked me about it, and she asked if I was gonna, if I was called on stage, if I would be called Adrian or my dead name. And I kind of freaked out, and I was like, I guess I'd maybe say Adrian. And then we kind of talked about it, but she didn't really get it. And I didn't really know what I was talking about because I wasn't ready to come out. I barely knew how I felt, and I still was figuring out those words to talk about it. And so it was just kind of a big mess because she was confused, and I was confused, so I couldn't unconfuse her and she was really frustrated because she felt like I was too young to understand so she was saying all this stuff to me and it was just making me kind of close up even more I kind of forgot how to talk about it because I felt unsafe to so I guess I kind of came out but it wasn't really intentional and after that everybody just kind of found out I don't really remember telling anybody but I don't really mind that that's how it went just because I don't know if I ever would have told anybody. I feel like I probably would have just waited until I turned 18 and I would have been in a very different place right now. Mm-hmm. Have you had acceptance from your mom since then? Yeah, she's pretty good about it now. I think sometimes she still struggles a little bit, but like, you know, she does a good job. She calls me when I want to be called and she respects that. She let me start hormones when I was 17, which was awesome because I never, ever thought that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I mean, she's just come a long way and I think that's really great Mm -hmm. the discussion is interesting because I'm just learning myself Mm -hmm. I'm 54 when I was younger when I came out I had no conception of the idea of trans right and for me uh, it was a lot about transvestite which now I know means cross-dressing from the Latin because trans and vestite or vestido is your your dress your clothing and it's a learning experience for all of us and i think that for a lot of older queers it's we have had a hard time thinking of the intersection of gender orientation and sexual preference and how does that fit in your mind um i feel like there are two very separate things to me I've had a lot of people express confusion, like even my parents expressed confusion about that, like how my sexuality relates to like who I am. And I never really got that because it was, it just didn't feel like it was related at all to me. But I guess, I don't know, I would say that maybe my sexuality is impacted by my gender identity just in that I feel like I'm more cautious around like people I'd want to involve myself with. I haven't had a lot of good experiences being in relationships with cis people just because I feel like they don't understand. And they're never gonna understand even if they wanna understand. So that makes it really hard, but I wouldn't say that it actually changes my sexuality really. Mm-hmm. I've been listening to a, to a podcast called Translash, which has written really amazing. And there was a whole episode on transgender people and relationships and people finding out that for them, oftentimes the best their best friends and their best relationships are with other trans people because they don't have to describe themselves as anything. Does that resonate with you? I would definitely agree with that for myself. Most of the long-term, actually all of the long-term relationships I've been in have been with other trans people. And a lot of my friends are trans people. Most of my friends are queer. Mm -hmm. And that's not intentional. A lot of the time I become friends with somebody and then they come out to me. It just kind of is what happened. Yeah. So you went to the Fort Bragg School District? Yes, I did. How was your experience? It was okay. I mean, it's the only school district I ever went to, so I don't have anything to compare it to. Um, With being LGBT, I would say it was pretty difficult at times. There are a lot of students there that are not very accepting. They're very rude. And a lot of teachers there that don't know how to manage that. Um, You know, I would go report like bullying issues or whatever to the administration and they wouldn't do anything. They would just say it was just words, but it's not really just words to me and other LGBT I mean that especially when you don't have support at home like I know a lot of people don't it's really hard to go somewhere that you're supposed to spend eight hours a day five days a week and still not feel supported yeah it was such a relief to graduate um 
I just feel like being in college, for me at least, I know not everybody wants to go to college or needs to go to college, will be a lot better just because I get to more choose who I spend my time with and who I interact with and people are more mature, I hope, than to pick on people they don't really agree with. They'll just kind of hopefully mind their business. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that in high school, people are really, in middle school, just when you're younger, you're just really insecure and you project your issues onto other people and you project your confusion onto other people. And I feel like that might not happen as much moving forward. So there is a, a paradigm within the anti-racist community where people of color often feel like it is it should be upon white people to do the work. Mm -hmm. And it is upon white people to do the work. But it's not always easy to see what that work needs to be mm -hmm. to, to combat transphobia, to combat homophobia. And so to some extent, we as queer people need to help people who aren't queer understand what would be helpful for us. Mm -hmm. And right now, with the right wing in America working so hard to demonize transgender people, I feel like it is upon us, people who are both trans and allies, to help people understand that we are people too. But it's more than that. And what would you say? I mean, how would you help people to break through their confusion? I just think the most important thing is education, which I think is really hard because there's a lot of states like Florida that you literally cannot talk about queer people in school anymore. And that makes it really difficult because I think something that would really, really benefit the community is just education because I think a lot of people's problem is just that they don't, they don't have any queer history, they don't have anything, but the things that have been fed to them about like, you know, I guess propaganda about queer people. Um, when I was in school, I, this last year, I t took every opportunity I possibly could to educate my classmates about queer people, um, just because I've finally gotten to a point where I feel comfortable doing that and putting myself out there like that. So I did a lot of presentations on all of the anti-trans legislation happening, and I did stuff on Stonewall and just a lot of different queer history and things that are going on right now. Um, and I had a lot of conversations with people that I don't really agree with politically that kind of seems to make some progress um, just because they genuinely didn't know the information that I was telling them. Mm -hmm. And I feel like people just kind of like both on the right wing and left wing really to live in echo chambers of their own beliefs. So they surround themselves with people who agree with them. And so all they ever hear is the stuff that they agree with. They never learn anything. They never are exposed to anything new. And so I think a really important thing is just exposure to diversity and more education. Yeah. It's kind of a forgotten piece of queer history that Stonewall was really started by trans people. Oh, yeah. And drag queens and people of color. And after that, in the 70s and the 80s, the queer movement became so strongly white male and just, you know, gay men mm -hmm. who didn't want to open it up to more and didn't see the... the thread the start of the the ball of yarn you know who is the one who started knitting this this scarf that we're all wearing and i i think that we need to educate everybody on this oh, and we yeah. need to all even though we're all very different and in a way we're all odd bedfellows that it's so helpful to educate us all to our common you know, goals and our common humanity yeah i would definitely agree and I feel like it is really important to acknowledge kind of where the movement started I think a lot of people don't know that and the people who do know that don't really know much more about it that's like just the information that they see in the media but they don't know who these people are and what they really did like I've read a lot of books on queer history and there were a lot of trans women who um, they would take in other LGBT people in their homes and they would like make sure that they had shelter and they had safety especially in places like San Francisco where the queer movement was so abundant. There was just a lot of like people protecting other people in the community and it was just like everybody really coming together. And I think the media really portrays it as this like white gay man thing. But if you actually kind of read more into the history, there's a lot more to it. Well, thank you so much for being with us. Of course, yeah. 
now let's go to Sherry Glazer, the creator of the one-woman show, Oh My Goddess. She's also an author with a new book called Chictionary. Can you tell us what inspired you to write this book? It's called Mama's First Pocket Chictionary, taking the dick out of dictionary, a bridge to the feminine paradigm. And uh, I've been a linguist for many, many years. I'm very sensitive to language. I was a poet when I was a child. I thought I'd grow up to be a poet. So words matter. And in every show that I've written, and I've written three or four one-woman shows, there is a through line of the feminine. I've always championed the mother, the egg, the, the, the earth, you know, seeing that as the, as the great mother. And so uh, during the pandemic, when everything shut down, I was unable to perform. I was actually in the middle of a show in Berkeley when uh, it hit. I just opened Oh My Goddess March 6th and had to close March 13th. Mm. So here I am with this creative fountain inside of me and uh, I'm living with a very good friend named Kim Chipsmith and she also is a wordsmith, a singer-songwriter. So we we kept hearing the words full of men and he and man. Every word that has any significance or power in our language has he in it and we were offended <laughs> and felt left out and so we started to dissect these words like woman and women and menstruation and menopause and we could we were playing with these words in a way that we could dissect the, the male, the masculine dominant sound in it and replace it with something resonant, still sounds like the word, but if we respelled it, we could actually include the feminine. That was our, our kind of our spark. Like, let's change the spelling of menopause to moon. <laughs> Moonopause and menstruation, which aligns with the feminine because we've always associated with the moon. And that way we have a relationship to the words we're saying. We see that these days, people just talk, 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 talk. They don't even know what they're talking about. They don't feel what they're talking about. Words have lost a lot of meaning. And we see that also with the digital language, the respelling of words that, you know, some, some of us in my demographic don't even know what people are talking about or writing about anymore. <laughs> so we decided to kind of wake up the language uh, by infusing the feminine. I heard an interview with Alice Walker recently by Kai Wright. It was on WNYC, and he's a gay man. And he was saying, well, you guys, and she goes, I, excuse me, but I don't like that. I am not a guy. You're not talking about you guys. So what would you suggest we say? Gaias. Gaias. I love it. Guys and Gaias. Yeah. It's simple. It's close enough that we get the resonance. Like, you don't have to wonder what we're talking about. Hey, you guys. Yeah. We know we're talking to the feminine in the crowd. Yeah. It's simple. It's, there's so many simple changes that we could make. For example, any words that start with X. Uh-huh. Exit, example, excited. Um, you can easily change the EX to E-G-G-S. Eggs. Oh, I love it. I'm expecting to be excited about this example. And see, now I resonate. I, in fact, I get kind of a, kind of a, <laughs> a, a little thrill out of it. Yeah. I'm connected to uh -huh. what I'm saying. And because we're having such a difficult time communicating with each other these days. Yeah. So much disagreement. When you resonate with the words you're saying there's a chance that you can connect mm -hmm. in a deeper way or at all. Yeah. And that's very exciting to me. Yeah. Exciting. <laughs> well, and that X has also become very important in a different way in Spanish, which is a gendered language where people are sick of hearing Latinos. And so they've replaced the masculine O with an X, the Latinx. Yep. 
and um, it's it's expanding all throughout the language and throughout the gendered romance languages. Expanding, there it is again. Expanding. Yeah. And when you can visualize and you can feel the sentiment of these words, sentiment. See, there's men stuck in the at uh -huh. the end of that word. Yeah. And we can easily change all the mint the meant words to mint. Yeah. Change the e to an i. Sentiment. Yeah. Amusement, government, environment. Yeah. And it refreshes everything. <laughs> and <clears throat> it also appeals to the feminine in men, you know, because this is inclusive. You know, we're not saying just women, you know, we're saying let us in. Let us be a part of the language and see if the feminine nature in all of us can start to nurture, to heal, to share, to caress, to take care of, you know, mm -hmm. give a little more, I don't know, a gentleness to what's happening here. And the systems that are in place, hear that? System, it's a system. It's like almost saying, assist him. And all these systems that are in place are... Uh, very um, punitive and pressureful, mm -hmm. you know? You got to make money. You got to get a degree. You got to have a job. You got to pay the bills. You got to do the taxes. You know, you got you to achieve. You got to win, right? And, and a lot of people are suffering under this patriarchal rule that's been going on for almost 6,000 years. <laughs> so I'm kind of tired of it. Yeah. And so we feel like we want to shift the paradigm. We talk about that a lot. But what are we shifting to? And so Kim and I felt we needed a, a template. We needed to start uh, sort of the vision for the future that we may never see. But in, in the same vein as Hamilton, when he wrote, you know, the Articles of the Constitution. Yeah, yeah. We're just creating this whole new paradigm, and we have to have language to do that. Could you read us a couple passages from your book? Sure. Let's see. Why Chictionary? The word chick has many wonderful female connotations. For example, a cute girl or a delicious bird that basically feeds the whole world alive or dead. A chicken is the layer of eggs, which is where we all come from. Hence, it is the feminine equivalent opposite of dictionary. Words are also vibrational. Words like dick and chick echo through our minds and then project out of our mouths, often causing internal as well as external resonance. Additionally, the audio sound, or audiophile as we call it, of a word often generates multiple meanings, which historically benefits masculine intent. Hence, as Gandhi, Lao Tzu, and Oral Torah Hill, three great minds imagine your beliefs become your thoughts, your thoughts become your words, your words become your actions, your actions become your habits, your habits become your values, your values become your destiny. Yeah. If this is true, as I believe it is, then thanks to the patriarchal manipulation of our language, we, the feminine beings, do not exist without the masculine. Hence, this etymological banishment is one of the strongest factors in the failure of women to thrive, advance, or truly succeed. After all, Zillions of words pour out of our mouths every second of every day, affirming that women are not even here or worth mentioning. We are, in fact, reminded of our absence every single time we are dressed as Miss. Think about it. Mm. Hmm? Miss is gone. Yeah. Misses. You just missed. Mister. All the, the surnames, there you are again, sir, who are absent completely. So we've changed miss to myth. Oh, myth. Ah, I love it. 
You were speaking a few minutes ago of menopause. Can you read the section on menopause? <clears throat> and it is, it's, you know, arranged, it looks like a dictionary. Yeah. Very much so. Menopause becomes menopause, which is with, through spell chick and conversion. That means we, we changed it to the feminine spelling. Seriously, do we have to explain this? There is no place for men in this experience. Women literally put our moon time on pause. And then we use it in a sentence. I was, I was a late bloomer. I didn't start menopause until I was 55 years old. Uh. So you read, it's an interactive experience with the book. Yeah. You know, you read it out loud and you read the sentence. So you start to ex experience what it feels like. And when you're writing it, you'll notice that you're going to change your writing mm -hmm. and have a, a more intimate experience with what you're saying. And we see spelling as casting a spell. That's where the word spell comes from, ah. from the witches. Can you explain the X and the eggs? Well, that's just because there's no resonance in example expecting. There's just, just a word. We just throw it out. But when you add eggs or you convert it to eggs, there is a physical sensation that's exciting to me. Because you're, you're in connection with the word. And the spelling of the word is you're casting a spell. When you spell a word, you are casting a spell and writing your sentence, which is kind of like relates to writing your life sentence. You're committing to it. And so we casually write these things and have, real, have no real understanding or relationship with what we're saying or writing. There's another word, right. Okay, now that one's caused some interesting problems because the fundamentalists in government are the right. Yes. That's what we call them. And as we call them the right, we're affirming that they're correct. Even though we don't even realize we're saying that because we're not connected to the word. See what I mean? Mm -hmm. So the right says, the right says, and we keep saying they're right. And the left, well, the left, that doesn't have very good vibration to be left. We're kind of all left out, right? Yeah, right. Right? <laughs> so we've changed the spelling of right with that terrible GH, which is a horrible combination in the English language. It's so muddling to R-I-T-E. So now when I talk about my rights, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. My R-I-T-E-S. Uh -huh. And when I write, that's my right. R-I-T-E. I'm writing. Which brings me back to my ancestors and my lineage and my, my deepest uh, expression. My rights. Not my R-I-G-H-T that they made up and said I could or could not have. Yeah. So that's what we are introducing here. A language that is so vibrational and awake and alive that we're actually creating as we speak, which is what abracadabra means. I create as I speak. Really? Yeah. It's Arabic. Huh. That, that's actually the first spell in the book. I create as I speak. Abracadabra. Oh. I think also a very important aspect of this book and this perspective is humor. I mean, we are desperately serious right now. <laughs> I mean, it's very rare that anybody has a good laugh anymore. I mean, we laugh like, <laughs> and we say that's funny. <laughs> but this book, these word conversions will make you laugh. Because it's funny. It's because it touches you. Yeah. Instead of just this empty, these empty letters pouring out of your mouth, you know, a zillion times a day. Well, Roland, who unfortunately couldn't make it to this interview, and I 
have uh, recently been doing something that's caused more heartfelt laughter than anything we've had in a long time. And it also goes plays into the, the word thing. We've been playing good mitten. Not bad mitten. <laughs> but we've been playing feel good mitten. <laughs> which is so basically where it's non-competitive. And we just try to keep that birdie, which is known as a shuttlecock. A shuttlecock, of In course. the air for as long as we can. And we are highly recommending it to anybody who needs some good heartfelt fun. Is to set up your, your feel good mitten net and have I, a good time. I love it. I have a good mitten set in my in my laundry room right now, and that inspires me to set it up. Yeah. Good mitten, fantastic. That's that's why you know you can take. It's not just taking the dick out of dictionary. It's it's enhancing the words or changing them away that it feels good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, why is badminton bad? Yeah, why is bad? See, I'm glad you caught that. I first became aware of you. I don't know how long ago when I somebody said you've got to see this show. Oh my goddess. How long ago did you write, create, Oh My Goddess? Well, I was writing it when I was in labor with my youngest daughter, who's 26. So, <laughs> I was in Compshi. I was out on my deck. And I was probably at two or three centimeters when I went, Wait a minute, how come... God is the father. How come there's only a father in every major religion? I'm the one giving birth here. Yeah. And so it was a, a very simple epiphany that told me that, of course, the mother is uh, absent from every creation story, at least the, the major religions, not native, because, of course, they include plenty of the feminine. But, you know, Judaism, Catholicism, and um, the Muslim faith... He, God. And I just decided to rewrite it, you know? And it just came so easily, being a Jewish mother that I am, and, and giving birth. I, it, helped me, it helped me understand creation itself and how, how the universe was, was born out of her. And... Uh, I was married at the time. My husband, Greg Howells, and he just loved the idea. And he was a kind of a biblical scholar. He huh. just loved reading the Bible and found it to be a great work of literature. So he had a wealth of um, information and material that he could we could, you know, translate to her side of the story. You know, uh, and... Uh, I always like to include the, the male aspects in my work. And so I have been working with this Latino character, Miguel, for many years. I had worked in San Diego at a, a Western Union, which used to be a telegram company and money order <laughs> company. And uh, I met a lot of the, the Mexican workforce would come in after being in the fields all day and send money home. And... I was so inspired by their work ethic. <laughs> oh my, I was like, these men worked so hard. And, and the terrible cliche that Mexicans were lazy. Yeah. I thought, um, um, okay, got to change that. So I, I developed Miguel and uh, kind of used my Spanish roots because my mother's side of the family came from Spain. And so I felt like I, I had some access to that. I couldn't probably do Miguel anymore because of the political situation and appropriation ideas. And, but I felt like I needed a male character to channel the great mother, to, to be inclusive. Um, and it worked beautifully for 20 years or so. And I still love Miguel, and a lot of people do. And I still feel very strongly about playing other cultures um, because I think it's important to walk in other people's shoes. And that's one thing I think we're missing, we're losing here, is this restraint. I mean, if you're, if you're, you're just living in your own tiny box of a, a culture and world, you know, how do we, how do we connect? You know, and I'm always into the connection and the comedy and what we have in common. Mm -hmm. And that's what Oh My Goddess reminds us that 
we all come from the mother and we're all on earth. That's our common ground. And it seems pretty simple. Yeah. I like to reduce it to the essential nature of things. And and there she then was born. Oh my goddess. Which I was playing in Berkeley when the pandemic hit. So it's actually lasted me, you know, twenty five years. So what can us fans of yours expect from the future? Do, we, do, do you have another show in the making? You know, since the pandemic, I stopped, obviously, performing. Um, and I'm 62 now. I started theater when I was 20. Wow. So I've been doing theater for 42 years plus. And... I find it very difficult. I cannot perform for a masked audience. I just can't do it. I won't do it. Um, so the writer in me is very much activated right now. And I do think I'm going to do a little book tour because I have a monologue that goes with the book called Intro to Herstory 101. And it's about a half hour of just, you know, basically reading excerpts. But the way that I read it and the way that I act it out is, is funny. And I do miss that laughter. I miss the... Yay! <laughs> um, so I'll probably do some of that. But I, I don't have a new show. I have so much material from these 40 years. I, I don't see myself writing anything, a new one-woman show. I'd rather be in a play, write a play, a screenplay, be with people. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think I'll just take the Mama's first pocket dictionary. Yeah, on the road. Well, please let us know when you do, and we will we will announce it and get people out there. Thank you. Thank you so much for being with us, Sherry. This is Thank lovely. You, Chad. My pleasure. Thank you for spending the last hour with us, Roland Corey Medina and Chad Swimmer here on Pride Nation One Hundred and One. We would like to thank Adrian James Taylor, Nancy Chow, and Sherry Glazer for sharing their wisdom and lore with us. We would also like to thank Alicia Bales and KZYX for their support in making this show happen. And we want to hear from you, what you liked, what you didn't like. Wait, we, do we really want to hear that? Anything you want to hear us delve into on in our future show, email us at pridenation101radio at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at pridenation101radio. We are posting occasionally. And of course, the views and opinions expressed are not necessarily those of the staff or management of any station that airs Pride Nation 101. Only those of ourselves and our guests. See you next month. Next month. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can go to kzyx.org to find more shows and content like this one. While there, you can stream us live or check out our jukebox. And if you like what you hear, consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. We are Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, listener-supported community radio. KZYX, Philo, 90.7 FM. KZYZ, Woolitz and Ukiah, 91.5 FM. And Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Thanks for listening. Leave the bridge.